Alright, welcome back everyone. This is the Fault Line podcast for issue number 860. Yes, we are that old. Uh, my name is Alex Davis, I am the host. We're here with Fault Line editor Tommy Flanagan. Evening. And Rafi Cohen, who helps us out on the Rethink TV side of things. Afternoon. Who knows what time is anymore. I, I think we've <laughs> actually ended with the, the Hadron Collider turning on and we're just existing on like the echo of the universe is like collapsed in on itself but yeah anyway enough distractions i had a nice holiday in snowdonia uh and it's been very busy for me back uh but tommy how was fault line this week yeah welcome back out well um you missed some some quite controversial topics from from last week a bit of drama around quibi and comscope and obviously huawei the pantomime villain but this week was all about uh connect tech asia which for those unfamiliar is the big Singapore uh, trade show that houses Communicasia, Broadcast Asia, and Satellite Asia. But before I take you on a little um, voyage through the virtual event, I'd like to play a quick soundbite from what was sort of the theme tune that was kind of it was played between every single session before and after and in between. And I'd like to t- you to tell me if you notice anything questionable about this. Anyone? Yeah. <laughs> Questionable. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm glad I wasn't the only one because, I mean, it wasn't the most motivating thing, being insulted after getting up at the crack of dawn um, most of this week to try and, try and catch some of the live show <laughs> uh, that was happening on the other side of the world. But um, anyway, um, that aside, I wanted to say that uh, continuing the event theme that Connect Tech Asia has restored a bit of faith in um, uh, virtual events for our industry after quite a few disappointments this year, as listeners and readers will know. And as I keep on saying, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. And even though this was another Informer event, and the uh, Informer have been known to um, to do a few flops, organisers did manage to get a good balance of speakers. We had fixed mobile operators, broadcasters, pure OTT companies, and most importantly, um, a healthy amount of startups. So as a result, we got a great spread of articles this week, uh, ranging from uh, a fascinating story about how a, a data leak uh, by a recruitment company in Japan plunged the country into a bit of a data privacy crisis, and as a re- result, has as seriously hampered the the efforts of uh, an OTT video service from the top five broadcasters there. It's such a crucial time too. And then we shot over to the uh, Taiwan national opera house which was forced to close due to covid restrictions three days before um, uh, a major sold out production and then it was rescued kind of last minute by setting up this live stream infrastructure in 4k with multiple camera angles and while that itself isn't um, revolutionary one of the most uh, interesting things here was uh, the ongoing monetization issue i mean months after that live stream, it's managed to pull in tens of thousands of more viewers and monetize them too, despite being closed that entire time. And one of the vendors 
working with the Taiwan National Opera House called Rexel, uh, came up with this cost-reducing ad insertion system using a method influenced by OTA broadcasts and uh, apparently finding a SCT-104 box supporting 4K is quite difficult. So it took a Videon Smart 4K encoder into its own Rexel system and eliminated the SCT-104 and the transcoder from the workflow, basically cutting out some of the middle processes and using some trickery to, to uh, generate an SCT-35 manifest file and push that directly into the CDN. So that was quite cool. And then we, um, we also got some cool insights into the Pakistan fixed line market, which was cool because there's so much focus on India that neighboring Pakistan is often ignored. And this is a market of about 76 million internet users of which only 10% access internet services via fixed line networks. So in other words, that's 90% of internet users doing so via mobile. And that's crazy, but it's not totally surprising looking at the trends in that in that region. But what one of the local operators we heard from PTCL is, is going to do is it's got big plans for to deploy fiber to the home across the country. Um, but we found it a little odd how um, PTCL kind of brushed over the plans to upgrade its existing DSL technology and go straight to FTTH given the difficulty and the, and the costs there. And um, we also asked PTCL about its old IPTV project that was deployed by Huawei uh, quite a few years ago and going back to Huawei controversy, the executive who answered our question looked like he'd seen a ghost when we asked that question before he said the um, uh, PTCL has since worked with a, a new vendor on IPTV and OTT. And I mean, that's the beauty of live Q&As that you get from real events like these. So make of that what you will. And um, uh, think, speaking of um, live uh, Q&A sessions, that was one of the reasons why it, it became apparent that Connectic Asia was mostly done as pre-recorded sessions because as soon as we, we got into one of the, the Q&A sessions, some of the live video, video and audio fees just capitulated which was obviously ironic but also kind of encapsulated the need for fixed line broadband infrastructure in in parts of asia pacific <laughs> so um despite the early morning uh, insults that was a, it was a thoroughly enjoyable event i think and and there'll be more to come there next week good stuff yeah it's um it's a side of the world we don't see enough of and it's always difficult to get some uh, get a proper flavor of that market from the outside so yeah connect tech asia um hopefully next time around tom you'll be out there in person so moving on uh rafi this week you were looking at scripts follows ota renaissance pipe dream with ion acquisition so so what's going on in this article well the, the headline bit of news is that um the ew scripts company you know like a you know massive um kind of linear network in america has acquired um ion media for $2.65 billion. Um, and Iron Media comes with 71 broadcast stations, um, which Scripps is going to incorporate into its own, you know, monolith. It's already got the CATS network. And so with with that, it's going to have, you know, well over 100 um, broadcast stations. Um, this acquisition was backed by Berkshire Hathaway. Um, they put in a $600 million preferred equity investment. And in return for that, they're also getting around 23 million shares. Um, it's definitely one of the larger acquisitions of the year in terms of kind of TV networks. But, you know, that's all fairly kind of run-of-the-mill stuff. But what was really striking about it was the 
kind of comments from the CEO, Adam Simmons, who um is I, I watched an CNBC interview with him where he was basically saying that the whole reason was because he's predicting a, a renaissance in um OTA or over the air broadcasting. And he you know he thinks, you know, as people cut the cord, that's he wasn't completely denying OTT, but he was saying, you know, that's basically where people are gonna head and that's why they're acquiring this. Um our media generally do kind of true crime style uh things so i guess they're tr- they're trying to get into that genre and they think that that would be a big chunk of um over the air but yeah he was saying over the air you know it's still got a lot of the the series that people want to watch on repeats and that it's gonna people are gonna, and that especially all the free o- over the air um broadcasting in the u.s people are going to move there as they decide to cut the cord and want to take up something a bit cheaper that has all the series they like but he's kind of like yeah so he thinks there's going to be a renaissance of ota but then when you actually look at any of the figures they they've used to support this. It just uh, it doesn't really stack up with the, the size of OTT, which they seem to be downplaying. So yeah, w- what they were saying was that um, some research from Parks Associates saw that there was a 67% growth in OTA from 2018 to halfway through 2019. And by the end of that period, it was 25% of all US households. But then if you compare that with another thing from Parks Associates, it found that 76% of US households had S-Board subscriptions and compared to just 62% of pay TV subscriptions. So already you can see, you know, S-Board's at 76% penetration. And even though it's growing fast, OTA is still only at 25%. So it's a bit, a bit of a strange priority. Um, and yeah, and then like other, we looked at other stats from Rethink TV, you know, we found that in North America by 2025, um, S-Board subscriptions are going to total around $29.6 billion. So you know, it just, it just seems like a weird prioritization. The other the other thing he said he wanted to get out of this was kind of pushing um AT, ATSC 3.0, but the company hasn't really done so much with that yet. Uh, in May, they broadcast some channels from a TV station in Las Vegas, but that's about it. And so, yeah, I mean, it, a lot of money changing hands, but it, it seems to, you know, they're, they're saying it's going to be a radical thing in the start of Renaissance, but I can't, I can't, can't really see much happening here, to be honest. Yeah, uh, OTA is weird in the US, um, properly strange. And uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, capacity there that that could be used for other purposes. But no, we'll um we'll pay attention. We'll keep tracking. And and speaking of over the air, uh, I was looking at uh, SpaceX's IPO speculation and its Starlink uh, Starlink network possibly undercutting local competitors. And this this story came to the fore through a report from broadband now which essentially just compares it's like a price comparison website of sorts and it looks at the cost of broadband in in your area and it put out this report that got a bit of traction in the press saying that starlink would would force prices to come down by about 40 percent and of course that that caught our interest and, and we went looking and digging uh we we found that the, there does seem to be a problem with the thesis and and it's mostly because the satellite network it's in a low earth orbit and these things are only overhead for a short period of time and and the the sort of special source is being able to hand off between the ground station and stuff in orbit and then also being able to move data around the satellites in orbit i think they're using the very fancy laser system and then you're taking it down to the ground when needed but essentially there's a finite amount of capacity that they can have per cell and our understanding is that you can't just throw more satellites at the problem. Like you have a fixed amount of bandwidth. So to that end, the uh, SpaceX has sort of begun saying, "Well, 
we're not going to compete in cities. We're, we're going to focus on underserved markets, so you know the rural parts of the world or, or parts of the world that don't have terrestrial infrastructure. So that was that was the rub that, that we were finding. That broadband now is is got this thesis that a new competitor will bring the price down, but our view is that they're not in the U.S. at least. Starlink wouldn't be competing against comcast and whatnot they're competing against the sort of rural isps they're often wireless isps and in a lot of those markets there's only one option for satellite uh broadband and you'd be lucky to get a dial-up broadband option uh, so there's yeah it's it's a different market entirely so that that was our sort of our question and we have reached out and we've not heard anything but i i there was no mention of cell capacity in, in that report and i think they they sort of got the wrong end of the stick uh, but the second second part is that SpaceX has begun uh, sort of teasing details of a an IPO. So uh, old Musk has been uh, tweeting about it and saying that you know, when they go prob- public, they'll have you know priority for s- small private investors instead of big conglomerates and whatnot. But it's it's ticking along. It's still an immensely sort of disruptive uh proposition um it's only really in existence because spacex can afford to launch these satellites um dirt cheap because it's doing it itself and the idea is that they'll spin out starlink through this ipo it'll be a standalone thing and a global proposition so it's very cool and just as a little update they are claiming well no the reddit users there's been a lot of activity on that website uh comparing speeds and latency and whatnot so the sort of Download speed is range from 11 megabit per second to 60. The average is apparently 43. And the upload speeds, which are the the important bit, because that lets uh, SpaceX qualify for FCC rural funding, the uploads have ranged from 4.5 up to 17. And 17 megabit per second through satellite is very impressive. And the latency, which is, again, pretty important, is 20 to 94 millisecond. So it's, it, it does seem to be a very capable technology but the question is if you increase the cell density like does that degrade so yeah keeping an eye on it and, and looking sort of forward and yeah very interested in it so within the next sort of couple of years is the plan for the ipo when when cash flow is nice and stable so in the usual format we're going to go to worth noting now and rafi could you tell us what was happening five years ago yeah, so five years ago this week, um, Comscore had acquired Rentrack in the hope that they could both join forces and um, take on Nielsen, which was making $6 billion in annual revenue in kind of audience measurement in the TV sphere. Um, Full Line has never been the biggest fan of Nielsen, and I guess we were slightly slightly gunning for someone to come and take their place because especially five years ago, they were really struggling to keep on top of the audiences moving towards OTT. Um and so, and yeah, uh, Comscore and Rentrack both look fairly well equipped to do this. Um, Rentrack was providing census-based ratings for 31 one million TVs in the US, including movies and VOD. And Comscore had a background in digital and advertising, but um, it didn't, you know, this looked like it was going to be an uphill battle, you know, David versus Goliath, because Rentrack and Comscore only made uh, $450 million between them in annual revenue, which was, you know, less than one twelfth of Nielsen's business. Um, however, they did have some strong backers. They had um, advertising giant WPP taking a leading role in overseeing the deal. And uh, it was highly suspected that Viacom and Time Warner had also applied some pressure on this happening too. But, um, you know, if we if we look at where we are today, Comscore closed out 
2019 with uh, only $388 million in revenue. It's clear they're still yet to win that battle. Boo, Nielsen. Okay. Yeah, we are. We're not Nielsen fans at all. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, anything worth noting you want to bring attention to? Yeah, well, there seems to be heaps of cash being thrown around at the moment. Um, loads of M&A activity, but one of the most notable ones in the uh, vendor uh, community this week saw Sony buy up Nevion. Oh, Nevion, not, not sure how you pronounce it, I can't remember. But it's a Norwegian vendor that uh, featured quite frequently in, in Faultline's coverage about the rise of remote production technologies. Even before everyone else jumped on the bandwagon, we said back in April this year, uh, how it spoke volumes that um, that it managed to win a live sports deal at a time when there wasn't a live sports event in sight. Mm. And uh, I interviewed them back in uh, Q1 2019, which is why I should probably remember how the name is pronounced, but uh, basically spoke about how it bridges the, the kind of gap between the likes of Cisco in, in broadcast um, environments and how the broadcasters that wax lyrical about IP video signals um, but don't really have the experience to do things like IP contribution and SDN control and, and so um, uh, we're expecting a finder's three fee through the post from Sony any day now I think Fingers crossed, that'd be a nice little uh, Christmas bonus wouldn't it uh, yeah, my, my little worth noting this week, I'll just touch on Amazon launching Luna, which is its cloud gaming service. doesn't have any exclusives. Amazon has a poor track record in making video games. And if you thought that fragmentation was bad in the SVOD world, I think it's going to be immeasurably worse in the video gaming world. And this comes at a time when gamers have only just been able to start playing with each other cross-platform. Uh, so the issue now is we're going to have more walled gardens and I think it's going to be a big old mess. All right, that was it for issue number 860. This has been the Faultline Podcast. We're available at www.rethinkresearch.biz. Um, head over there. You can pick up a free trial for Faultline. It's about 12 articles a week. It's pretty in-depth. You should probably give it a read if you haven't already. Rethink TV is our research wing. We've just published our latest forecast on multi-CDN and WebRTC, so give that a read. Executive summaries are around. Tommy, do we have any snippets for next week? Well, most of next week will also be spent cherry-picking more of the best bits of Connect Tech Asia because there is loads to get through. Um... And as I said already, it's a, it's a much better event than, than some of the others. And there is another cool event next week, which is uh, the Cable Next Gen Digital Symposium. So if I get a chance, I'll try and squeeze some coverage from that as well, because the, the US cable guys um, always give us some juicy stuff. All right, then. Well, that's it for us, then. We'll see you next week. I Bye for now. we should end on. Oh, <laughs> I don't, I don't mind this to be fair. I quite like the glitch in there.